Hi, this is Eric Larson, and you're listening to the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast. Happy New Year, Cap fans, and welcome to episode 117 of the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Verbanis, and as always, I'm joined by the best gosh darn co-host out there. That's Mr. Bob Lucius. Oh, Bob. Happy New Year. How are you doing? Happy New Year to you too, Rick. How are you doing? I'm on top of the world, huh? I'm on top of the world, huh? <laughs> I don't know what the heck that was. You don't know what that is? You I don't, don't know? know what that is. That's probably because I'm bastardizing the song. It's a song called on top of the world and uh well hey listen it's the new year it's 2023 so it you know it don't get any better than this bob right well, this, here we this are is the year right we're doing we're doing we're going into year three of the mm -hmm. podcast yeah and uh we got two captain america titles out at the same time we got a big crossover coming up with the cold war you know we have but this year though we got we got flying cars coming i hear oh uh, yeah yeah we're gonna yeah. be yeah we're gonna be putting people on mars yeah you know? bob but you know what hold on now we got to bring it full circle okay okay my greetings to you always have something to do with the show right, right. yeah right and i always try to do something a different greeting for you every time i did i'm on top of the world huh i'm on top of the world huh all right the name of the song is on top of the world. Huh. It is by the band called Imagine Dragons. Oh, okay. 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 Right? I'm starting to figure it out now. Yeah. Okay. And we have a special guest on today's episode, Mr. Eric Larson, who for 30 years has been doing the character Savage Dragon. So I thought there's that. And then, the first part of the name of the group is Imagine Dragons. And if you just if you just jumble the words a little bit there, that's image. And yep. and Eric Larson helped, you know, found uh image comics back in nineteen ninety-two. So I mean, come on. How yeah. more apropos can you get? You're right. And you know, I know the you know listeners can't see this, but I see uh, behind Rick there's a there's a there's like a, one of those cork boards and he's got thumbtacks with string and he's making all these connections, folks. He's I making do. all these connections. You don't want to see the pictures that I have of Bob, though. <laughs> <laughs> Why else do you think he continues to do this show? <laughs> it's blackmail. It's called blackmail, people. Uh, but yeah, happy New Year, Bob. Do you have any New Year's resolutions? I, uh, you know, Rick, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm just trying to do better, man. <laughs> <laughs> do better. Just, it's just a general sort of uh, resolution. You know, yeah. I think there's a lot of, a lot of areas I can do better, right? Uh, I think I feel, I feel like I took 2022 off. So what? yeah, you know, I just, I felt like you started you know, a new job. You, I know. I you were know. working two jobs at the same time. Well, you, true, uh, true. You know, it's all true. It's true. You, you you did it, it you did at least three episodes uh that you led right yeah right? yeah yeah that's right they're my right. top five list yeah which is which is if i'm not mistaken three more than i did the previous year <laughs> i don't know about that <laughs> i think i think you're selling yourself short that's you did at least th two 300 percent you know improvement <laughs> so well <laughs> it's funny yourself, you said you said do better so that's a kind of a running joke in my family. Uh, I don't know how it started, but a few years ago. Now, my son, he is uh, a theater major and he's graduating this year uh, from college. Uh, double major. So very proud of him. That's and, awesome. uh, well, you know, my and we I have a uh, he has a sister. I have a daughter um, who's five years younger. And uh, I, you know, got married last year. But she's been around for a, a long time, and mm -hmm. the kids have known her for many years, and so she's been involved in their lives. And I don't know how this started, but you know the expression "break a leg." Mm -hmm. uh, somehow it got where my wife 
started saying do better and 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 like like, like the joke is like we're yeah. like she's gonna you know hold a sign up you know in the audience <laughs> you know when he looks out you know it's do better uh, i so, thought you were gonna say uh that your son told your your bride that she could do better Oh, that's true. I, I don't think it was just just my son. <laughs> I think it was her family, her friends. Uh, <laughs> uh, I love that the sign though. Yeah, I like that yeah. idea. Do better. I'm gonna I'm gonna adopt that one for for Bobby's basketball game to my son. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I do have a resolution, and it's the same resolution as I had this time last year, Bob. I want to lose ten pounds. On top of the 10 you lost last year? Well, it kind of came back. Oh. Okay. Uh, I lost it in time for the wedding. I lost most of it in yeah. time for the wedding. And then a little thing called a honeymoon happened. Right. Liquid weight. <laughs> oh, my right? God. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I was kind of bad over the holidays. So uh, I need some some motivation, Bob. I need I need someone to, to challenge me. And, and uh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. What, do you, what do you think? <laughs> I'm not doing it, man. <laughs> you don't have another colonoscopy scheduled? I'm not, do, I'm not having another one. I'm not due for another uh, four years. So, uh, yeah. So talk gonna... to you in four years? I'm going to talk to me in four years. Yeah, no, we talked about this a couple episodes ago. Rick, I'm really, I, yeah, I'm going to try to get in shape, but I'm not uh -huh. going to focus on losing weight this time. I, I, I do, I do want to focus on improving my cardio. Mm -hmm. I got to, I got to, I got to put on some muscle mass. You know, I, I feel bad, you know, that, uh, you know, clothes aren't fitting the way they used to fit. And I know I'm getting older, right? I mean, that's mm -hmm. to be expected. You got to, at a certain point, you got to like let go of, you know, the expect, you got to lower the expectations of, from where you were, but I feel like I can do better. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, I need That's to, I need motto. to, I, you know, and you're right. I, I, you know, I worked a couple jobs, you know, uh, in 2022, started a new job. I was still teaching, you know, just a lot of running around and I feel like I got to take a little me time, right. A little, mm -hmm. little uh, self-maintenance time. And that's what I'm going to try to do better on is a little bit of self-care and taking that time to, to work out and, and uh, you know, relax a little bit. That's good. I think you should do that. I totally do. All right, listeners. So I'm, I'm holding auditions for a new, new co-host. <laughs> Uh, well, send, your, better. send your <laughs> Bob's apparently going to be doing a sabbatical. Uh, send in your 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 promo tapes uh, to capcomicfans at gmail.com. All but, right. But I, I sound so good now. Oh, you do. Bob, listeners, do you hear this? Bob, do it again. Say something. Say something uh, about uh, Rescal. Oh yeah, yeah. He's he's one of my favorite villains, uh, Rick. Uh, who who you say? Red Skull. Mm. Mm -hmm. Now, what you're listening to, <laughs> what you're listening to, uh, folks, is uh, you, you the listeners. Well, the patrons. Let's let's be honest. A certain amount of listeners, the, the mm -hmm. patrons who support us on a monthly basis. You have gotten Bob a Christmas present, and he has a new microphone. In fact, he has the exact same microphone I have. So doesn't he sound just wonderful? I do, Rick. I do. Yes. All right. Well, you know, we should take, you know, this this new microphone and use it the best way we possibly can. And that is talking with Eric Larson and Ooh, bringing yeah. him on. Uh, I want to talk to him about Captain America the End. We just covered that last episode. So listen, if you you guys are just joining this particular episode because you're like, oh, I want to hear about Eric Larson. Last episode, uh, make sure you check that out. That is episode 116. Uh, we cover Captain America, the end, panel by panel. And so uh, if you haven't gotten that comic, shame on you, go get it. But you can get it and then listen along and read along as as we go through it so that's last episode so check that out yeah and you're gonna want to do that before uh you listen to tonight's uh, discussion with eric because you know it's gonna make it much more meaningful all right well we've been we've been making eric wait long enough in the green room bob should we let him in let him in our next guest has been an artist a writer a publisher and so much more for nearly 40 years in his early career, following work for various fanzines, he was the penciler for several DC and Marvel series like Doom Patrol, Punisher, and Marvel Comics Presents. 
He started to get larger recognition with his work following Todd McFarlane on the Amazing Spider-Man and Spider-Man series. And then he joined McFarlane, Jim Lee, Mark Sylvester, Wills Protasio, Jim Valentino, and Rob Liefeld to launch Image Comics in 1992. His creation, The Savage Dragon, has been ongoing for the last 30 years, making it the longest-running full-color comic book to feature a single artist-writer. However, our listeners may be most excited about his Captain America The End one-shot that came out three years ago, where he wrote and illustrated the imaginary story of Captain America's final battle. We are pleased to have Eric Larson as our guest. Eric, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we, we love Thank having you. you. And, and by the way, Happy New Year. Oh, wow. It's all so different. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> One thing after another. Uh, well, you know, a couple of years ago, you did a, a long interview with the fine folks over at, at Comic Book Historians, and and they did a three-part podcast series, taking the listeners through your entire career, from your early fanzine work with, with Megaton all the way to 2020. And so oh, wow. I, I, I encourage our listeners to check that out, because today we're going to be focusing more on your Captain America story. But before we get into that, uh, perhaps you could take the listeners through what got you into comics and, and how you broke in. Um, well, I read comics as a little kid. I grew my dad collected comics when he was a little kid. So we grew up with his old comic book collection. And that was stuff from back in the 40s, 50s. And uh, so I, I kind of grew up with comic books. They were always a part of my existence. I drew a lot as a little kid. And I started drawing comics for my own uh, entertainment when I was real little. And I started just creating my own characters and, and stuff like that. Eventually, um, it got to a point where I was like, I want to break into comics. I want to be a comics guy. Uh, there's a company called um, Charlton Comics, and they they were on their way out the door. They were their their company was was floundering, but they did a book uh, called Charlton Bullseye with mm -hmm. the idea that uh, we'll pay you no money, but we'll publish whatever you you know you you get to keep your copyright, keep ownership of, of your characters. And just do something for us, please. <laughs> we'll have something published. And so I was like, oh, I've got these awesome characters. I'm going to do a story for, for that. And I wrote and drew a 24-page uh, dragon story, Savage Dragon, back before there was a Savage Dragon. And then he let me know, yeah, that, that, that book didn't sell well either. We can't even publish it for nothing but we think your stuff's pretty good so you should consider submitting it to other people um and what i ended up doing is i ended up self-publishing a fanzine called graphic fantasy and put that story in there i had a couple other buddies who uh did stuff in there and i inked like all of it and we put out this thing and sent it out to anybody who would uh say anything about us and um a couple guys who wanted to publish their own comics contacted me after having bought it through the mail and uh that was how i got in and it was you just work your way up the food chain from there so i was 19 when i published that thing and you know within a few years i was doing stuff at Marvel and DC and stuff, but it's one sort of, one sort of thing sort of led to another. Um, I met Jim Shooter fairly early on and we had talked through doing a Hulk versus Thor story. And then once I'd drawn that, I had the greatest samples in the world because it's, it's exactly in my wheelhouse is two characters kicking the crap out of each other. <laughs> And that led to me doing the DNA agents over at Eclipse. And and then I did a fill-in on Amazing Spider-Man pretty early on. And, and then uh, at some point I met 
Mike Gold, who was championing my stuff over at DC, and I ended up on the Doom Patrol after doing a bunch of fill-in stuff. Led back to Marvel, uh, went over and did uh, The Punisher, so offered that as a gig, and I, I barely could manage. <laughs> it was not, I was not a comfortable fit on that book, mm -hmm. so I managed five issues. And then uh, eventually wound up on Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah, and the rest they say is is history. Yeah. Uh, I, so going back to to your love for comics when you were a kid, and, and you got to go through your dad's collection. Wow, from the forties and fifties, some amazing stuff. But but then you moved from that to to picking up your own comics in the mid seventies. Yeah. And uh, I heard you mention you were getting Kirby's Run on Captain America oh, yeah, at, yeah. during that period. It, it, is that where you developed your love for Jack Kirby and, and your appreciation for the Captain America uh, character? Um, well, I had bought his stuff sporadically at DC because he was doing Commandy. Mm -hmm. And he was just kind of winding things up over there. So when he came over to Marvel, that was my opportunity to be like, oh, I'm all in on this dude. I'm going to get everything he touches over at Marvel because at, at DC, I, I didn't really get all the commandies. I didn't see them all, but that was my introduction. So that was the gateway. And then just when he was doing Marvel stuff, I was like, this is awesome. Cause he's doing all these, all this stuff on these characters that I know and love already. Um, but I was not a captain America reader prior to Jack coming back. Cause, uh, there's other other people were working on it. It was um, who was it? Frank Robbins, I guess it was just wrapping up his run. Mm -hmm. I think I bought the the issue before Jack came on, just so I'd be like, okay, where's where's everything at? What's the state of affairs? And then uh, when Jack came on, I was totally ready for it. What was it about Jack Kirby that that you just appreciated so much? Oh, well, I, 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 he's a great action artist. And I always like I, that. That's kind of what I like to do is draw figures jumping around. He also has this kind of boundless imagination in terms of just either composing panels or just making up wacky stuff. Uh, so I just embraced and I loved everything he did. I bought a, I bought Captain America, the Eternals, Black Panther, Devil Dinosaur, all that stuff. Yeah, I was stoked when he came on. You know, or Captain America's Bicentennial Battles, and he did a couple annuals. Yeah. Like, Holy crap, man. Everything's awesome. Yeah, talk about wacky stuff. That's when he uh, created uh, Arnim Zola and yeah. all those creatures. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there was so much crazy cool stuff in that so for those on on Facebook, uh, they could sometimes see you in the the comic book original art groups, and and that's how we met. You commented on my my one and only Jack Kirby page from Captain America two eleven, uh, which was from nineteen seventy seven. And uh, do do you are you lucky enough? Do you own any any Kirby artwork? I've got like two hundred pages, dude. Wow. <laughs> in fact, I've got a double page spread from that issue of Captain America on my office wall. Do you now? <laughs> it's right. Yeah. You can't see it. Cause it's, uh, I have to change. I don't know if I can turn my, no, it turn looks my, like it's, yeah, it's working. My monitor enough to see not quite, uh, not quite. I can't, uh, what a can't, tease. Oh quite make the, quite, can't make the corner here. Yeah. And I can't, I no, I can't. can't uh, uh, I'll have okay. to pull out that there, issue. There it is, right in the corner. Oh, look at that! Yeah, look at that. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> Nicely done, right. framed, and everything. Okay. So, do you have what? You have two hundred pages. Wow. Uh, so a I, lot I, of a lot of complete issues. Uh, various collectors had had bought stuff from the Kirby's, and and they had kept it all intact. Mm. So I've got like eight issues of commandy i've got mm -hmm. an issue of uh the losers i've got the eternals annual um and then a, 
bunch of just loose random pages. Do you have any favorites? Um, yeah, I, there's a, there's a cover of, uh, uh, Jimmy Olsen that, that Neil Adams inked, which oh, wow. is super, it's really awesome. Two legends <laughs> right like, there. Yeah. I always like that combination and, and it's just a cool cover. So that I think is, is up there, but there's a run on commandy where, uh, where he rides around on this giant grasshopper called click clack. Um, and I've got all four of those issues. So it's like, it's pretty awesome. That is awesome. I mean, like, you know, I have a very, very small original art collection and mostly focuses on Captain America. Yeah. Um, but as I would expect. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. It, I got to tell you, it makes life easier when you're super focused on one thing, uh, yeah, you yeah. know, because otherwise I'd, I'd be out of a house right now. But, um, you know, mo most of my stuff is framed up on the walls. I have some things in portfolios, but I, I'm, I'm a believer that, you know, art sh should be seen, right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. it shouldn't be hidden away. And, yeah. and I, 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 I hear the, the amount of art that you must have just Well, I keep sitting. it in portfolios uh -huh. so that I can read it like it's a giant comic book. Oh man, that must be so cool. <laughs> so that does work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, those, those complete issues. That must be a lot of fun reading those. Yeah. No, that's awesome. It's, um, it's that. I, and just other co comic art from other people that, that I like. I mean, my, my real early dabbling with Marvel, my first stuff was Herb Trimpey's run on the Hulk. Mm. And that was like, I, I love that stuff. So I've got a three issues of, of Trimpey Hulk art there somewhere. Wow. That that's <laughs> impressive. Uh so Dan, you, you you had a chance to meet Jack Kirby, uh, didn't you? Uh yeah, early on in your I career? Was, yeah, a couple times. I was always introduced to him as, you know, hey, there's this up and coming young guy, you know, meet him. So but it was we didn't we didn't have anything remotely like a meaningful conversation on anything because it was always in a convention kind of setting so it was mm. like hey i'm a big fan kind of thing <laughs> and then it's like you kids or blah 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 whatever and it's like <laughs> i don't i don't have any awesome quote or anything like that <laughs> right well yeah. you know turning uh our, our our attention to captain america the end um i'm curious how you got this gig because previously the end stories were known for bringing back creators associated with the characters. So yeah. Peter, Peter David and Dale Kuhn came back for mm -hmm. a Hulk end story. Chris Claremont for X-Men, Paul Jenkins for Wolverine, Garth Ennis for Punisher. How yeah. did Eric Larson get Captain America? Well, it came because Jordan D. White, the editor, was putting it together and he knew my stuff from Savage Dragon. So he is a, he is a fan of that. And uh, he knew I was a big Kirby guy and he knew I, I liked Captain America, I guess. So he was trying to think uh, outside the box and be like, well, it would be nice to, to do something of a Kirby-esque thing and mm -hmm. let's get this guy to do it. So he just thought I'd be a good fit. And and how long did you have to think about it? Not very long, but I mean it was a it's a big commitment because I'm doing my regular book at the same time. So it was like, hey, can you throw what thirty pages on top of that? It's like mm -hmm. holy crap! I don't know, man. Well, was it a tight <laughs> deadline? Like, how long did it take you? Uh, it took me, I don't know, it, it wasn't done consecutively because it'd be like I'm working on a few pages of this and then I'm back on Savage Dragon and stuff like that. So it, it took me a few months, but that's because I was working on other stuff. If, you know, if we could talk about Jack's influence on your work in the end, because the the book reads like a, a love letter to Jack's mid-70s work. I mean, from the, from the writing. Yeah. to the layouts to the battle scenes yeah um, well I, I was trying to to have it you know i i can't 
rip off Jack. I can't emulate him to the extent where it's indistinguishable from the real guy. Mm-hmm. So I knew that was that was an impossibility. But I can do something that has something of that flavor. And so I was like, okay, well, I've got to use the 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 grid. I've got to use that six panel, four panel uniform grid that Jack used throughout his career. So that I came in with going, well, this I know I need to do. Uh-huh. And then in terms of like what Captain America looks like, I'm like, well, I'm I'm gonna use Jack's version of the costume, not whatever, you know, there's the there's the new ones where he's got belts with all sorts of pouches and nonsense mm. on it. And then we got to draw the chain mail so that it mm. looks like, you know, chicken feathers or whatever. So I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to go crazy with that. I liked the, how Jack had it where the scale mail would, would be on his chest and then it miraculously would transition into being cloth with there being no seams at all. I was like, that's what we can do in comics. Yeah. <laughs> to do any, you know, that's the magic of comics is you can do that and it looks fine. Whereas if you try to do that in the movie, you'd be like, what the hell? That's that's not cool at all. Um yeah, talk about the layout. You you also had this one page that's nine panels, all the same size, and where caps battling in each panel. And it it looks yeah. like it was a lost page from Jack's cap stories and tales of suspense yeah 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 that was the idea was to go okay well there's this there was a pretty famous page in tales of suspense or or, so i was definitely trying to go well i want to do something that's similar to that without swiping any poses so that was kind of the the thought was i just want this to feel like it's a jack kirby thing even though you know clearly jack's not working on it but i want to you know he's going to look like he's an older version of jack's captain america and set it in a world that kind of feels like it without you know 100 nailing it just because i'm incapable (laughs) i i want to follow up on that because we just we did the previous uh episode we reviewed this story panel by panel bob and i and one of the things that came up was you know, the revelation that, you know, he, the first time you see him without his mask and you see the receding hairline, you see, it's got white hair, the wrinkles around his eyes. And so, you know, with, with the, the super soldier serum, you know, it kind of delays his aging. So it's like, wow, is this story that far in the future where, where caps kind of aged or did something happen with the serum do are we thinking too much into this like you know we're trying to figure it out well i I mean i i was thinking you know like commandy was a post-disaster world and yet you know in a lot of ways it was post-disaster as though the disaster happened in the 70s because you know people aren't running around with cell phones on the other hand there were you know he went to chicago which had been turned into a mechanical world so it's like okay well there's some aspects of this that are futuristic and some that really aren't um i just i tried to straddle it so that i i didn't want it to be you know people driving around in flying cars and and it to be totally divorced from the world we know but you know it, it it could be i mean basically the idea was that red skulls um he's he's i don't know what you call that mist that he puts in people's face that make them turned into a version of the red skull but they the thought was that cap had been exposed to it a little bit here and there over the years so that he had become immune to it and the rest of humanity wasn't immune to it so when that mist was sort of all over the place everybody started turning into red skulls all around him and there was a handful of humans that somehow managed to not get infected and so he's trying to find humanity and rebuild the world and we just 
that was the jumping off point. Like, okay, let's let's see how this works. How that would actually function is I didn't really go into like, are there still farmers? How are these people able to eat? What's going on here? Right. And canned food, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, if we could shift gears uh, from the art to the story uh, and, and dive a little deeper into that, because it, it's such a fascinating story and, 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 and we really loved reviewing it. And, and, I, and I know the, the listeners are going to love, uh, you know, revisiting it again, because it has been a few years since it came out. But in, in uh, early on in the book, um, one of the Red Skulls taunts Cap and he says, you, you fight a war you cannot hope to win, Captain. And it turns out it might be true, at least in the way that the readers expect it to be won, right? By physical confrontation, slinging the shield. Is that one of the main points you were trying to convey in the story that Cap's heroism isn't necessarily tied to his shield or his fists? Yeah, well, that's that's it. Is, you know, Captain America is a guy who is going to do the right thing always or as close to the right thing as he's able to find and that he finds a way. So, I mean, that's that's the beauty of, of Captain America is that he will find, find a way. He's a very tenacious guy, which is, you know, defining characteristic with him. It's like, I'm going to find a way. I will figure this out this week. So, so speaking of, of, of that never die attitude, right? Near the end of the story, you know, Cap appears to be beaten. And and one of the things, as you said, he's famous for is he never surrendering, right? Even yeah. even the most dire of situations. There's always hope, right? There's there's yeah. still a way to prevail. Yet, you know, hope escapes him at the end. He begins to believe that he isn't the solution, but rather maybe he's the problem. And he he's the one person standing in the way of peace. He's the monster. But yeah. the I little mean, girl this, this is me ripping off. <laughs> ripping off i am legend here <laughs> really, there you go. right yeah i, mean, I didn't that's catch that but yeah it's basically it's a, it's a rip on uh, i am legend which yeah. is you know he he just in that he kind of goes you know everybody's a vampire and and at some point he kind of realizes holy crap i'm the problem <laughs> I'm, you know, everybody's a vampire. It, uh, now I'm the monster because I'm the guy who's out killing all these things. Um, but and, the little girl that's with him, Marsha, she she snaps him out of it at, yeah, at yeah, the last yeah, minute. No. And he begins She's, to fight again. And so just what are we to take from this this crisis of confidence in, in this that a small, helpless child is, is the one that is able to, you know, renew his faltering faith in himself? isn't that the way it always works that's the way it's supposed to be right you always have that one person it's like i believe in you cap (laughs) (laughs) i love those stories you know Mm because it's always you have those this crisis of the the heart or whatever it's like oh when things look the darkest they can be somebody's in there going i believe in you it's like ah okay uh, what's the Adam Sandler movie where the guy keeps coming out? You can do it. You can do it. <laughs> uh, yeah, you need that sometimes. You need somebody who's in your corner who's pulling for you. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, give them a reason. Give them something to fight for. You know, one of the other things I was I was really fascinated. I hate, and I hate to sound like you know one of those critics who like goes to the movies and you know watches the movie and says oh, this is. This is what you know. The director was trying to 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 convey, you know, and that's had no idea what you're talking about. It was just you know an entertaining piece, but you know I was fascinated by this suggestion of of a hive mind, right? This linked consciousness, mm-hmm. assimilation, the loss of individuality, and and towards the end, Cap recognizes it for what it is. It's the impulse of the Red Skull to kill everyone who's different. In fact, if they can kill if they can't and it's the whole the whole nazi thing too Mm -hmm. it's like you know we all have have the same thought we're all walking in in literal lockstep in that case Um, right yeah but i mean that's that is i mean it is a common human experience right the fear of the different and the other the desire to either assimilate it and make those differences go away or to to push it outside the circle um 
Is, is that a deeper meaning to this story? Yeah, no, no, or am I just, you know, reading no, what I got wanted? It. You got it. That, that works for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, man. All right. Uh, so, so speaking of the hive mind, um, you, <laughs> and I'm going to get back to the art. Uh, you beautifully demonstrated the, this hive mind early in the, in, the, in the story by using this double page splash. So this gets me thinking back to Savage Dragon number seven where you did an entire issue with nothing but splash pages and double page splashes. Can you talk about your philosophy when it comes to splashes and, and double page splashes and how writers and artists approach them? Oh, in terms of that? I, yeah. I, think it, I mean, a splash page and a, especially a double page spread, uh, those are showstoppers, you know. Um, in a movie... You can't do anything like that, but it's one of the few tools that we've got. Um, the problem with comics in general, when you're telling a story, is that you can always see ahead because you you're sitting there, you're you're flipping mm -hmm. the pages, and you can see multiple panels. So if Red Skull's showing up for the first time on a right hand page, and you're sitting there looking at the left-hand page, your, your eye is gonna be drawn over to this bright red thing that's on the other side of the page. And you're essentially able to spoil your own story just because of how pages are placed and how panels are placed. So as a creator, as a guy making this nonsense, I'm, I'm sitting there consciously aware all the time that, that, that this can happen. So, Essentially, what I try to do is to pace my stories so that left-hand pages are a reveal, right-hand pages are are uh, cliffhangers, and and do it like that. And I can't control it quite so much at Marvel where they can plug it an ad or something. You know? Yeah, but you can you can do it a little bit by going okay. Well, I'm going to stick a double-page spread in here. And the beauty of a double page spread is it's you you can't jump ahead. It's it takes up both sides of the page, and it it is def definitely like we're in the moment, and there's a lot to look at generally speaking. Um, but I think of splashes as those have got to be big moments, which is why doing a, a um, an issue which is all splash pages or all double page spreads uh, can be a real challenge because you want every moment in there to be quote unquote worthy of being that you know because if you just do splashes of nonsense it's like well why why is this taking up all this real estate I, I, I this would be much better off if there were multiple panels telling me more information so when I'm doing it, a, a splash, I want there to be a lot of visual information there for you to just be able to go, oh, I'm getting all this stuff out of it. And well, yeah, and, and I'm, I'll am i just point to this particular issue, right? So you talked about you, you have your reveals on the left or cliffhangers on the right, and and it did flow very well, right? There's a, you know, there's the, the helicarrier reveal. Right. That's yeah. like a, a three or two thirds page splash. You know, that that was on the left. And then, you know, the 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 Modoc uh, was a big reveal. Um, but then there's also the other one was when you just did a, a bust of of Steve Rogers, where, where he, it, you know, the light goes off and it dawns on him that it's me. Right. Yeah. And and there's no action. There's no detail. There's no those types of things, but it's a moment. The story yeah. itself is a yeah, moment. Yeah, yeah. It's got some significance. It's got some weight to it. And I think that that's another thing where you go, yeah, this this is important. You know, something being a splash, that's an important moment. And and that's, you know, yet another way of doing stuff. You can do a full page of it, somebody's head, but it first it should look interesting if you can find a way of doing that. Mm -hmm. and second, uh, it's really got to say something. And if some character go, "Oh crap, I'm I'm doomed," um, I like how 
he has just got a real tired kind of haggard look on his face where he just feels really defeated at that moment and and has that like oh oh my god it's me you know is is I, I think that face shows a lot it did it really did it captured the whole feelings that were going on through his head at that point that that desperate desperation slash realization um but i want to get back to the the modok splash because i think this is my my favorite that kind of just screams uh kirby right because you you have this gigantic modok that's been turned into red skull right so you have, you have big yeah. red skull modok you have the the kirby crackle going on behind him as he's like you know uh hooked up to the machinery there and it's a it's a huge revelation but okay i have to it's a spectacular splash but i have to ask was this partially inspired by the the mike zek john Beatty cover it was not it actually wasn't i i i know that i had read that stuff years ago so maybe it was in the back of my skull somewhere my own skull. <laughs> no pun intended <laughs> but uh i had i completely forgot it and then uh after the fact after it had been published then uh, i was looking through some captain america covers and i was like holy crap they beat me too and i forgot <laughs> i totally forgot about this <laughs> uh yeah, for the listeners who who may not know what we're talking about, it's Captain America 289 from 1983. It was the Assistant Editor's Month parody yeah. cover. And, yeah, and we, they were all doing wacky stuff, and they yeah. combined Red Skull and MODOK. They called him um, Skull. Moskull, yeah. Moskull, yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so uh, while, while we're on MODOK... Um, you know, despite the overwhelming and growing odds against him with every new assimilation, Cap can't bring himself to kill those who've been afflicted by this, this mist virus, right? I mean, yeah. he's confident that there has to be a cure. And yet in the end, I mean, he does kill the infected MODOK, who is the hub of this hive mind, right? And the narrator of the story says, the soldier does what he must, as painful as it may be. Now, since, since the Silver Age, at least, Cap rarely, and with rare exceptions, resorts to lethal force. And when he does, it's not a choice he takes lightly. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. all the way back, right? You Captain yeah, America 321, when he shoots the ultimatum agent uh, to save the hostages, he he wrestles with that, right? He carries that I mean, burden. I mean, but but at the same time, he is a soldier. So mm -hmm. he, does, he does act like a soldier at times when push comes to seven and it's absolutely necessary. So did, he did you think lightly, but he, he he's not... He's not Superman. In well, I guess Superman does these days too. <laughs> these days, right? Never yeah. mind. But he's he's much more. Uh, yeah, he's he's more willing to kill than than Superman. Yeah. Did you wrestle with that 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 narrative choice at all in, in light of? Um, I mean, because some I mean no, some I knew, take that really he, seriously. I I knew he had to he had to take it seriously. Mm -hmm. Um. And and I knew that you know he was a soldier, and that that is something he did. So so I was aware of you know him decapitating Darren Blood and and doing other things at times when it was absolutely necessary, and it was absolutely necessary. Mm -hmm. So yeah, he did the right thing. <laughs> the only thing I guess he could, right? I mean, that's yeah, really that's the, the point of the story, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, at least he can restore people to so that they're not all hive mind group think kind of thing. So yeah. So um towards the end, Cap eventually learns that uh, or I should say, um yeah, at the at the toward the end, he 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 learns that his blood's the antidote for this red skull virus. Uh and yeah, he, it, this He's, he this gave is, it to the girl, right? Well, he, he she got a transfusion. I mean, he didn't know that at the time. No, no, he didn't know it at the time, but he did know note that hey, she's not changing like everybody else seems to be. Well, he didn't realize that until the end. I mean, that sort of escaped. I haven't his, read this thing in a while. Yeah, he didn't realize <laughs> it, right? I mean, that didn't really click. But you know, yeah. earlier on when he did the transfusion, and you know, the the elder Jewish doctor identify, you know, it says. 
you know, she needs, she needs blood and cap says, Oh, I'm a universal donor, right? Zero negative. I can, I can do this. Right. And, um, this got me thinking, uh, way back in episode 30 of our podcast, we interviewed, uh, um, Dr. Mark white. I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Mark white, but he wrote a book called the virtues of captain America, modern day lessons of character oh, from, nice. uh, from a world war II. He's a, he's a professor at, um, uh, uh, a, a university in New York, um, philosophy professor. In any case, he suggested that that Cap's idea of the American dream and its ideals are cosmopolitan, right? They're not they're not nationalistic. It's not America first. It's it's a universal idea that all people want to be free from oppression, exploitation, fascism, all those things. So is is in a sense, Cap is the universal donor, right? Because his ideals are universal. Yeah. Is this an underlying current in the in the story as well? Sure. At the same time, he is he was established as a as a universal donor. I did I did research it to find out what his blood type was so that it made sense. Because I was like, has this been established before? What his what his blood type is? So I did I did some research. We did talk about that, right, Rick? I mean, we did ask mm -hmm. like, was this was this a was I this not heard of that before the story? Yeah. Is this a, a sort of a new a new link in the chain? So it's I, interesting. I don't remember where the hell I found it, but I did find it somewhere in my because <laughs> I always have to. You don't want to be making up stuff when you don't right you know, or contradicting. Basically, you don't mm -hmm. want to be contradicting what other people have established. So. Yeah. Yeah, God knows, God knows there's uh, not going to be any comic nerds out there questioning everything you do. Uh, it's <laughs> it's tough. It's, you know, when when we were doing this stuff back in the good old days, you didn't have the Internet. So people would just be screaming into the void. They'd have to or they'd have to write a, a letter. Right. Choose not to publish that one. <laughs> All right. So I, I got I got another big question for you. Um, All right. And um so, I mean, for many years, anybody who's followed your work, right, we, we know that you've been a strong and faithful voice against fascist ideology. Sure. And ultimately, that's what the Red Skull and his army and converts is here, right? Uh, mm -hmm. in, in fact, Cap characterizes the Red Skull horde as a fascist mob. So I, I can't help but see this story as a metaphor for something bigger. I mean, is that just something readers have to work out for themselves, the metaphor being in the eye of the beholder or the reader in this case? Or is there some other social and moral lesson you're trying um, to convey here? Yeah, I, I would rather, I, I would rather just leave it vague, and make people because I think a lot of people who do have their their messages have this tendency to lay it on with a trowel, <laughs> and um, and I and I think people can be like, I don't want to be preached to, because mm -hmm. I think that that can be off-putting so I, I tried to uh dance around stuff and not be like hey let's well, i'm really talking about modern politics and blah 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 right what's going on in the real world man pay attention <laughs> you know I'd, I'd rather that people get a, a lesson from something and you know story-wise that it, it resonates in some way and learn a lesson there without necessarily going this is what i'm talking about and this is you know because right. that can be uh yeah i whatever <laughs> yeah no i get that because the first, yeah, I mean, right? I, honestly the first time i read this i was just entertained right i mean yeah. back when it first came out and then i of course we we read it a few more times and we reviewed it and we really dug deep into it and it hit me in a very different way oh cool three years well, later i, I gotta watch this <laughs> <laughs> I gotta go listen to your other <laughs> podcast so I can be all caught up on. Hey, people are talking about you, man. It's, oh, really? <laughs> no idea. You know, we were talking a little bit uh, before about you know sometimes fans can be very, very um, nitpicky, right? So mm -hmm. one of the things that I, I recall when this came out was uh, at the end of the story, at the very bottom of the credits page, it states Captain America was created by Stanley and Jack Kirby. Now, yeah. obviously, that was incorrect, obviously and and that the, not correct. Yeah, and the character was created by Joe Simon and Kirby, and that was a mistake on Marvel's part, and, and had nothing to do with you. No. But social media, being what it is, uh, you received some backlash for this, didn't you? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't pay those guys much heed. 
it's like I, you know, that's the one page in the book I didn't write. So, <laughs> you know, I can only, I can only do so much. I can't control what editorial does. And, and it's unfortunate that that came out that way because that ended up overshadowing a lot of, you know, the good stuff in the book. Yeah. That people are talking about this and it's like, come on, man. We had Tom, Tom Revoort on from Marvel and, and he, you know, he, he kind of talked a little bit about that, you know, of how prior to the internet, you know, it was just, you know, one or two or three guys going down to their local 7-Eleven, picking up stuff off the rack and arguing with each other about, well, Hulk should have never have done that. And this, and, and, was, and that was it. They were done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but now you got was, the, yeah, yeah. And you didn't, didn't know the personalities behind any of the stuff. It just kind of appeared miraculously. And, and also really at that point, I think in the seventies, especially people were much more, uh, conscious about i am taking this over from somebody else and i need to continue what they are doing and be a steward of this thing and there was much more of a, a sense of you know like somebody's handing somebody else a baton like we're all running this marathon together and when i get tired i'm going to hand it to the next guy but he's running that same race and taking those same characters and progressing what goes on and you read some of those books um and they did a really marvelous job of of picking up on uh, all the story points that the guy before them had set in motion and and that was i thought a beautiful time in comics really um and these days i i see less of that and i see more of People just going, well, now I'm going to tell my story and my story is going to be this. And my Captain America has a big nose and my Captain America is shorter than everybody else. And mm. like, no, 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 you're not recasting the dude. The dude's he's still supposed to be the same height and the same everything. And I, I know that I'm, I'm, a, I'm one to talk because I've done some of these characters before. But I, I really feel strongly that you should be looking at whoever does a good job of the doing those characters and have it be like, no, I'm drawing the same dude. So when I'm drawing Captain America, I'm looking at, well, how did, how did the creator make this guy look? And how do I have it so that it seems like I'm still drawing the same guy? You know? Like when I'm drawing any of those any of those characters, when I was doing uh, Flash Thompson in Spider-Man, I'm looking back and going, well, what did he look like when he was introduced? Oh, he had curly hair before successive artists decided he should look like Steve Rogers. Um, you know, let's let's go back to that. Let's try and find that unique face that a lot of these characters start off with something that was really distinct and unique um, and different from other characters. Let, let's find that face. Let's find the, the, the Captain America. It's like, oh, he's got a cleft in his chin and his nose looks like this and his eyebrows look like that. Okay, cool. Let's do that and have it, have it look right. So when he takes off his mask, you go, yeah, yeah, that is Captain America. Um, you know, I've heard you say before, in, in addition to honoring the, the creations that that you just talked about, you know, and, and trying to stay true to the creations, um, you've also talked about uh, honoring the creators, right, that came before you. Because um, I've heard you talk about your experience when you were on Doom Patrol and how your st art style was so different from the creator before you. And then you learned a lesson from that and started to try to uh ease the transition between art styles and things like that yeah 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 i i think that's i think that is important i think well it it helped that i was more in tune with todd mcfarland and we, were, we both had something of a cartoony bent to our work so that that transition wasn't going to be as abrupt as the one on the doom patrol 
but even so i was i was not hedging my bets so i was looking at it going all right so he's doing these funky panel borders everywhere and spider-man gets into much more contorted poses than he had for a while so let me do more of that and i and i think that was it, it saved my life on that book because that could have been some real backlash from people reading that but if i was to do some spider-man stuff now i think i would probably not do that so much and maybe i'd be like oh let me look back at what steve ditko was doing and try and do a more ditko-y spider-man just to see what that feels like so so pulling back to you know we we we, we talked about the you know captain america in the end we had that under a microscope but i, I just want to kind of pull back to a larger picture um can you share your thoughts on on what you feel like the state of image comics is currently and then and your <laughs> thoughts on. on the comic industry as a whole well i mean image comics is a different animal from any of that other stuff just because um it's all creator owned so anybody can do whatever they want to do i'm doing a, a superhero book set in the quote-unquote image universe but um that doesn't mean anybody else needs to do that or has to do that and they're just doing their own thing which is you know it's awesome it's people can do whatever they want to and and there's no editorial interference of any sort so it's a very different kind of animal than any other comic book company i've ever dealt with you know every everything else there's somebody over your head going no 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 you got to do this or that character wouldn't say that here you know you're in charge if you made up the, the characters nobody can say otherwise and if you feel like i want to i want my book to be aimed at adult readers or i want my book to be aimed at, at children readers that's totally up to you so that part is is great <laughs> uh in terms of the rest of the industry i don't even know I, I don't read every other book so i i don't have my finger on the pulse in terms of everything um and i don't talk to all editors i just have a few people that i do talk to and and i go into the comic store every week like many other people and I've never had a pull list. I just go in and, and pick out whatever happens to catch my eye. And so I I read various things, mostly just kind of sampling this and that. I guess I asked a question about the the industry as a whole. I, I I'm I'm kind of thinking of a couple of years ago, I guess during the pandemic, um, you had some some thoughts out there about whether or not the industry could continue right with marvel and dc were they going to continue like be able to do what they've been doing or are they going to have to change their style they're going to have to uh do reprints you know um i don't you know i don't know what's going to happen you don't know until you get there certainly those uh reprints that they've been doing those facsimile editions those have been doing very well does that mean that uh, at some point they could just go, well, we're just going to do facsimiles of the entire Captain America run. We're just going to start with issue one, do a facsimile of that, and then do a facsimile of issue two, and just have it. This is just going to go on for 75 years because we got a bunch of them. Um, and they could very well just buzz through any series and just do it that way. And they probably do pretty well with it. So, so um, at some point, you got to wonder if one of the bean counters will wake up and go, hey, these sell really well, and we don't have to pay anybody. That's way better than paying a whole creative team and having an editorial and having all this stuff. Why don't we just do more of that? Um, well, let's which, hope not, right? Well, that, 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 I, I think <laughs> I think what would what might happen at some point if they find that 
that that is the case, that probably they go, but we could license this stuff out, and suddenly there'll be, you know, Captain America comics from hmm. some other publisher. You know, suddenly IDW is doing it, or or uh, hmm. Dark Horse or Image or whatever. Somebody just be like, okay, well, I want to get the Captain America license because he's he is terrific. Well, one thing that uh, I would imagine you you you'll want to never see uh, just go into reprints, and that is uh, Savage Dragon. So, what's the what's the latest uh, with <laughs> Savage Dragon? Where where are we at nowadays? Um, I'm working on issue 263 and, uh, getting close to wrapping that one up. And then I'm working on a book called Ant and it's, that's been coming out too. So I'm six issues into that. And similarly, uh, I'm pretty far on issue six of Ant. So both of them will probably be wrapping up right around the same time as each other. And then I just keep on trucking for as long as I can stand it. And uh, yeah, we just started re reprinting the Savage Dragon in these hardcover books. So that's pretty awesome. I have this, this cool book that's just <laughs> like, all right. Yeah, they're a little oversized too. Yeah, yeah, it's it's oversized and and it's got all sorts of sketchbook stuff in the back, and we nice they, bonus material. Yes, yeah, we went overboard. There's like 88 pages of sketches in the back of this thing. Wow, it goes on and on and on. It's like I, I hope people aren't totally bored by it, but I had a I had a bunch of stuff. So here you go, game. Are you gonna? Are you going to have multiple volumes like all? That's the thought is that mm -hmm. I'll just keep, keep going with it and just do a couple of these a year. Um, but you know, it's got 13 issues in it, which just seems like kind of an odd number, but that's what Robert Kirkman was doing with invincible. And he's doing that with all his books. So like, okay, if ultimate collection means 13 issues, I'm in. We'll <laughs> do that. Um, and but even at that, it's like I'm on 260 something, so that's 20 bucks. It's yeah, it's gonna take a, a while. That's gonna be a, uh, that's gonna take a lot of shelves right there. Yeah, it's gonna take a lot of shelves, and it's gonna take a lot of time and then mm -hmm. to, to assemble that sort of thing, because yeah. you know putting together those kind of sketchbooks and stuff and finding all of the different pieces is it takes some doing. So what? What are the best ways uh, for fans to follow you? I mean, I, I don't think I don't think you're on Twitter anymore, correct? I am not on Twitter. I am on Facebook, and you just look for my bald head and my big hand, and hopefully, there's just one of me. Is that uh, is that the the Jack Kirby look where he's yeah, got the big the hand Jack coming Kirby out? Shot. Did you I, did you do that on purpose? Oh, sure. Nice. Yeah, no, and and it's kind of comic booky. It's got the big dots on it and stuff. So, uh, yeah, I use that. That is my, uh, what do you call it? That's my avatar on everything I do. And also, I'm that on a. I'm always my own name on every single thing. So, if I'm on uh, Hive, I'm Eric Larson. And <laughs> if I'm on Facebook. I'm Eric Larson, and on Reddit, I think I'm Eric J. Larson because somebody had taken my name. But bastards, I I don't use I don't use pseudonyms on any of these things because that can come back to bite you in the ass. Yeah, <laughs> and then of course people can always go to savagedragon.com. Yes, and, there's uh, that, and we've got a, a a wiki that talks all about all the characters and gives backgrounds on on everything it's it's quite extensive yeah i'm sure people will want to go and, and check those out but but listen uh eric a, a real pleasure rapid cap with you your excitement for for jack kirby uh, obviously came through in the book and it was a pleasure talking with you about uh your influence and and you know your love for the the medium so thanks so much for for coming on the show uh you're quite welcome thanks for having me guys well, that was a fun conversation with Eric Larson. I, I will tell you, Bob, if someone had said to me, 
oh, you're going to be interviewing various comic uh, Captain America comic book creators uh, through over the decades. Oh, you're going to be interviewing Eric Larson. I would have been like, what? What? You're yeah, crazy. Right. What are you talking yeah. about? But yeah, he is now a Captain America comic book creator because he did the the special at the end. And it was great talking to him about it. And again, it was so obvious that he had this tremendous love for Jack Kirby. It comes through in his work. And it was great talking to the different stories behind what he did. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love talking to him about the writing because, you know, he wrote it as well. And uh, there is a lot of love that shines through for uh, for Cap in, in the writing as well and the story. And, you know, I, I, I love uh, trying to pull a little bit out of him about some of the sort of the subtext of of the narrative and uh, you know, fairly successful in that. Uh, but I think there's there's a lot deeper we could have gone on that. And uh, but I'll leave it up to the readers, you know, to, to pick up that book, read it yourself and let's see, you know, maybe comment in the Facebook group or leave a message about what you got from that story. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. So check check it out on the Captain America comic book fans Facebook group. All right, so make sure you come back next episode. We're going to travel to 1969. Uh, we're going to cover uh, Captain America issue 120, uh, which is uh, written by Stan Lee uh, with some art awesome art by Gene Collin and Joe Sinnott. And uh, you might remember the cover. It's uh, it says crack up on campus. And there's a, it looks like a, a ne'er do well with a, a, I don't know. Is he a hippie? He's got long hair and beard and he's holding so uh, a man hostage. He's holding a, uh, some, some square, Bob, some square. Yeah, he's he's a wearing suit. a suit and a tie. Mm-hmm. Right. And he's holding him hostage and he's firing down on Cap as he's charging up uh, the the staircase. It looks like a bell tower over top of of this college campus. Um, so we're going to we're going to take care. We're going to we're going to visit that one. The solicitation is this will really shake you up. Cap becomes part of the college scene and then the action starts. That is how I envisioned my uh, adjunct faculty. <laughs> yeah didn't quite go that way <laughs> didn't quite go that direction all right well we'll maybe we'll maybe you'll share us a little inside stories about yeah. about your early days as teaching bob that that oh, yeah right. let's yeah. let's save that for the next episode okay all right well as as always bob is fun wrapping cap with you it is i cannot wait to do it again all right. He's Bob Lucius. I'm Rick Verbanis. And you have been listening to another episode of the Captain America comic book fans podcast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.